don't you bow with me and let's pray. Father, thank you for our time of worship that has hopefully and prayerfully uh, set our minds on things of truth, things of love, and as we're seeing in this series, things of grace. Uh, God, we live in an age today in which people talk about being woke to certain things. And Lord, in this series here at our church, we're talking about this idea of a grace awakening, that if there's anything, God, that you would want us to be woke to, it would be your grace and how your grace can not only change our lives, but as it flows through us, even the lives of those around us. So fathers, we look at a story of your son Jesus's today. I pray that you might speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. May there not be one of us here or at our other campuses and venues or even watching online that escapes the profundity and the power of your truth as it penetrates our hearts and our minds. Do that in this, we pray, with your grace, in Jesus' name, and we all say together, amen. So one of the things that my dad did for us kids occasionally over the years has been to pass down cars of his when he's done with them. It actually was very nice. My dad has owned some pretty fun cars over the years, and he would drive them and get his use out of them, put quite a bit of miles on them, and then be ready for a new car for either he or mom. And there were times that instead of trading it in, he decided to take mercy on his kids and and hand them off to them for free. And so it either went to my older sister, Katie, or my younger brother, Peter, or to myself. And it's here where the story gets thick. The first time this happened, I was in high school and my older sister was in college. We were all driving by that time. And my dad gave my sister his 1969 Mercedes 200 sedan. It was like a sweet car, four on the floor. We all loved it. And we were a tad bit jealous that Katie got that car. And then the next car he gave over the years was he gave my sister a 1990 Mazda Miata, the very first year of the Miata. Again, a sweet car, and and she drove it until she crashed it. And then uh, my brother eventually got mom's Lexus RX 300. So if you the car people, you're going, wow, these are really nice cars. And then most recently, my dad gave my brother his 15-year-old RAV4. So again, an really nice car. And you're saying, what did you get? Well, my dad gave me one car over the years, and, uh, and, and it was a 1984 Mazda 626. Now, for any of you who know cars, the Mazda 626 was a forerunner to the Mazda 6, and they should have actually called it the Mazda 666, because it wasn't a very good car. And my dad gave it to me, it was mom's, when it had a lot of mileage on it and days that cars didn't go much over 100,000 miles. So it lasted about a year. Kim and I drove it. We were newly married and the engine finally died. And, and, and so add it all up. Katie gets a Mercedes and a Miata. Peter gets a Lexus and, and a RAV4 and I got a Miata. Now, I'm, I'm sorry, Mazda. Now, only the middle children here today are going to get what I'm about to say. And that is that we always get the short end of the deal. Amen. And we let the rest of you know about it when we do. So let's wrestle with something at this point, because I've had some fun with this over the years. Uh, given that story, 
And given what we know about life, the question I have for you, don't answer it out loud, but just wrestle with this in your spirit, is this, is grace fair? I mean, what my dad did for us kids was clearly a move of grace. Give me a head nod that y'all understand that. It was, it, was, it was a wonderful thing. It was a nice thing that he did. And he didn't owe us his cars. It was a kind and generous, grace-filled gesture to do this. And so in one sense, now walk with me on this, there is no fairness to be had with this. My dad once reminded me of that when I complained to him, and you're saying, you actually complained to him? Yes, I did. I'm a middle child. And so I I complained to him about Katie getting these cars and Peter getting these cars, and my dad's a tough man, and I wasn't smart back then. And he looked at me when I complained, and he said very candidly, they're my cars. I will do with them what I want. And so very clearly, this is an idea where we understand grace in that sense is never meant to be fair because it's, it's grace and it's up to the grace giver. But in another sense, my dad did try, he really did, and we've talked about it over the years, to be somewhat fair and equitable with his grace. In fact, I make it sound like he gave Katie two cars and Pete two cars and me one. It wasn't exactly that way. He actually meant to give us each one, but when it came to that Miata, he didn't know who to give it to, and so my dad got us all together in about 1993 when we were all back in town, and he had us draw high card for the car. car. Can you tell I wasn't raised in a Christian home? I would have prayed about it, but he, 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 he drew it. And back then, I was the only Christian in my family, only one. And, and I had just gotten out of seminary, and I thought, this is a shoo-in. God's going to favor me. I drew a four on the card. <laughs> so obviously, God didn't want me to have that car. And then, and then the RAV4, similar thing. He, he did it more in a, in a different way. So he tried to be equitable about it. And my guess is that we could all tell stories like mine, equitable and inequitable, where from our own family or work or whatever, we've experienced grace, and here's the point, and we walk away wondering, is grace meant to be fair? Is there ever an equitable aspect to grace, or is it just completely willy-nilly in that way? And that's up the ante right now. Let's now transfer this discussion to God. We're in a series about grace here at SBC called The Grace Awakening, and we're talking about God and his grace toward us. So here's my question for you. How does God function with his grace toward you? Are there times when his grace seems or actually is fair? Are there times when it's unfair? Can his grace ever be unfair? How does God treat us with his grace? You know, Jesus once told us a story in which he helps us understand God in this area. It's a story of grace, but he attacks head on this idea of the fairness or unfairness of grace. It's a story found in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, and I'm going to read it for you right now, but I want you to do something a little bit differently today. Just go with me on this, because I think you'll like this. I don't want you to have your phone in front of you following along. I don't want you having an open Bible in front of you following along. I can't monitor all of you, so if you want to, you can rebel. But what would be better today is to simply listen to this story. I didn't put it in your bulletin. I'm not going to put it on the monitor. Why do I want to do that? Because when Jesus originally told this story, they didn't have phones in front of them. 
When he told this story, they didn't have open Bibles. They weren't taking notes because they didn't have that stuff back then. When he told this story, they were probably in an open air setting and he just spoke it to them. So let's recreate that scene as best we can and just soak it in right now. Just listen to the story that Jesus told and, and, and pretend, if you need to, that you're interested in grace, <laughs> you are, and, and you're asking this question of the fairness or unfairness of grace. Here we go. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner, a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them out into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, hey, you also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you what is right. And so they went. He went out again at about noon and then about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. At about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they answered. So he said to them, will you also go and work in my vineyard? When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired at five and going to the first ones hired. Uh, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. And so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Hey, they said those who were hired last worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and even the heat of the day. But the landowner answered to one of them, am I not being unfair to you, friend? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give to the one who was hired last the same as I gave to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? And so the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Now, we need to wrestle with Jesus' teaching here. Because if I don't miss my guess, there were some when they originally heard that story years ago that began to scratch their heads. Because it's almost scandalous on a human level to think of a guy doing this, because it's certainly not fair. But as we're going to see in about 10 seconds, Jesus isn't talking about the human-based economy here. He's talking about us and God. And so what is Jesus saying here? Well, obviously, before we drill down on some of the details, Jesus, from a macro view, is letting us know in this story that God is more about showing and giving grace than he is that everything is equitable and even in our lives. That's the main point of this story. If you don't believe me, I want you to look at the two bookends of the story here. So let's look at verses 1 and then verse 16, and you'll start to catch on. Verse 1 is important because Jesus begins the story by saying, for the kingdom of heaven is like. That's really important. The kingdom of heaven is like. In other words, he's not talking about your work environment here. He's not even talking about your family relationships. Those we'll get to in a minute. But he's talking about God and his economy. He's talking about your relationship with God and how God interfaces with you when it comes to his grace. 
So this is a story that just gets right to the heart of it all, you and God, and how God is going to treat you with his grace. And then look at verse 16. This is a very common verse. People quote this all the time, usually out of context, right? Like you're playing tag and you choose sides and somebody gets chosen last and you try to make them feel good by saying, well, the first will be last and the last will be first. What does that have to do with tag? Nothing, because Jesus doesn't mean it that way. When Jesus caps off the story by saying that the last shall be first and the first shall be last, he's telling us something about God's grace to you and me. And he's telling us that there is a, a, a fair and an unfair aspect to God's grace. That there's gonna be a sense that when we experience his grace, now don't miss this, that it's going to seem fair to us. We'll get to that in a minute. But there's another sense in which we experience his grace, in which we're gonna feel scandalized, and why didn't I get what somebody else seems to get? In other words, he's first and foremost telling us in this story that there's this denarius. We'll get to what a denarius means in a minute. But what I need you to see right now is this, 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 this denarius represents the salvific blessings of God. And what we're going to see is that everybody gets a denarius who comes into the kingdom. So there's this equitable aspect to God's grace, if you will, the fact that he offers the denarius to everybody who works in his kingdom. That's going to be important for us today. But then Jesus reveals what I'm going to call a discriminant aspect of God's grace when he adds to the story that there's those who came and only worked one hour and got the same pay as those who worked 12 hours. And there's something unfair about that that reveals to us another aspect of God's grace that you and I need to own and wrestle with. Are you confused yet? You won't be soon. Let me show you what I mean. Let's look closer at the guts of this story. And I think you're going to find this is very life-giving. When you look closely at what Jesus tells us here in Matthew 20, this story, you'll notice first that there is an aspect to God's grace in which each one of us here today who believes in Jesus for eternal life, an aspect of his grace in which we receive a full and equal portion of as long as we come to God on his terms. You're saying, where's that? Look at verse two and you'll see that this is precisely what Jesus is getting at in this story. He says, and when he, the vineyard owner, had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into the vineyard. Folks, this is important. I believe that the denarius here, which was simply a unit of money back then, one denarius, we know from our history books, was the wage for an average foot soldier in Jesus' day, so it was what the military paid somebody to be in the military for one day, so it would be normal for a business owner to pay the same thing. And this denarius loosely represents, now don't miss this, God's salvific and sanctifying blessings that he has given to each one of us equally in Jesus. In other words, the denarius represents the gospel and the general spiritual blessings that come to us in the gospel of Jesus. And this would only make sense. Consider the main players in this story and you will see this. 
The vineyard owner is obviously God. No Bible expert worth his or her weight in gold doubts that one. That's Jesus's point. The workers represent humanity in general, and the vineyard represents the spiritual realm of knowing and serving God, who is the vineyard owner. And so the denarius, don't miss this, is the blessing or bounty of from God that he gives to those who come into his vineyard to know him and serve him. So the denarius represents the blessings of the gospel that come to you and me when we enter into God's vineyard to know him and serve him. And before we drill down on the details of the blessings of the denarius, because it's going to be important that we do, don't miss that everyone who was a part of the vineyard got a denarius. <laughs> so when it comes to these salvific and sanctifying blessings of God that flow from the gospel, all who accept him receive a denarius, a full share of these blessings. And folks, I believe that this is significant because it collates with many other aspects of the Bible in which it makes clear that there are certain things that you and I can expect that we can bank on from God when it comes to trusting him through Jesus Christ. There are certain promises in the Bible that if taken at face value, believed and trusted in, can be true for everyone who comes to God through Jesus Christ. Not everybody in the world, mind you, because again, remember, there are workers outside the vineyard waiting to get in and then workers in the vineyard. So the blessing, the denarius, only comes to those who take God up on his offer to come into the vineyard who, for our sakes, believe in Jesus Christ. But they're very real blessings. And if you're a believer here today in Jesus, I got good news for you. You got a denarius in your pocket, and it is full of blessings from God. And you're saying, like what? Well, very quickly, because we're going to move on to this inequitable aspect of God's grace in a minute here. But before we do that, I want to share with you kind of in rapid fire format, five things that God has promised to everyone fully who has trusted him. Five denarii, if you will, even though it's one denarius, that God gives equally and fully to all who come into his vineyard. And the first one is something you're familiar with, and that's eternal life. Jesus couldn't be more clear. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, here it is, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So one of the blessings of the denarius, one of the blessings of you coming to Jesus, you are guaranteed eternal life when your body stops working. That's a pretty good deal. Second thing, and this kind of flows or answers the question why we get eternal life, is the forgiveness, you ready for this, of all your sin. Acts 10.43 could not be more clear. Of him, meaning Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Don't you love that? I know you're sick of this. I looked up the word everyone. It means everyone. Everyone who believes in Jesus gets a denarius. And of that denarius you get, it is full of forgiveness for all of your sins, past, present, and future. So you got eternal life, forgiveness of sins. We're not done. We went through this one last week, power from God. You're saying everybody gets that? You bet. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. 
He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. And even when you are, he will provide a way of escape so that you'll be able to endure it. Or as the NIV says, stand up under it. So as we reviewed last week, if you're a believer in Jesus, man, you got God's power coursing in your spirit right now. And what you're seeing today is that it's part of the denarius. He agreed to give you that when you believed and trusted in him. So eternal life, forgiveness, power. Notice a fourth thing that we get, and that is presence. Hebrews 13, 5, let your character be free from the love of money. That's a good one for Scottsdale. We'll get to that one a little bit later. Being content with what you have. Now here it is. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. And I know the pushback on this one. People have said to me for years, but I don't feel his presence, Jamie. (laughs) Guess what? It didn't say you're always going to feel it, amen? It simply said he's always going to be with you. And so just like on a human level, you might not always feel that a loved one is right next to you, maybe as you're driving down the road, but you look over and sure enough, they're there. God says, look over, I'm there. I never will leave you. Even if you don't feel it, trust it. I'm always with you. So eternal life, forgiveness, power, presence, one more so that we understand the denarius, and that is purpose. In other words, even if you're in a dead-end job, even if your marriage is on the rocks, even if your kids are going off the deep end, guess what? None of that can touch you because you've got purpose in life through Jesus. Romans 8, 28, we know that God causes all things, even the bad things, to work together for good to those who love him to those who've been called according to his, say it with me. So you got purpose right now in Jesus. And again, we talk about that all the time around here. We're gonna move on here in a second, but simply notice, gang, these are the realities of the Christian life. Eternal life, forgiveness, power, presence, and purpose. These are what God has promised to each and every one of us who embrace him through Jesus. These make up the denarius, if you will, that God gives to you and me in Jesus, the denarius of his grace. And the cool thing is, and this is all that some of you need to hear today, is that everyone gets a denarius. Whether you came late, whether you came early, whether you're working hard right now or not, in a sense, it doesn't matter. He says, if you're in the kingdom, if you're in the door, you get a denarius. So realize them, cling to those promises and accept them as they come. They're a part of God's grace. Now, obviously, this is only part of Jesus's teaching in this story. It's a big part, but it's only part. Because when you look closely at this story, there is another key aspect to Jesus's teaching here on grace. And I want you to listen very, very closely at this point. Because this is one of the things that Jesus is addressing head on, this idea of the unfairness of grace. And I can just promise you, many, many Christians today don't get this. In fact, I'm just going to warn you right now that over the next 23 minutes and 36 seconds that we have left, there are some of you that are not going to like what we're about to go over. And yet I say this often, don't email me because I'm just the messenger. If you don't like what's being said here, take it up with God, because this is what I believe he is communicating to you and I. So here we go. As we have already established, the denarius that's given to all workers here symbolizes or represents the general salvific and sanctifying blessings of God. We just covered that. 
But as you, most of us know, this is not the be-all and end-all of the blessings that God gives us. When we look at eternal life, forgiveness, power, presence, and purpose, those are mighty things, but they're not the complete list of God's blessings. There are other blessings, seemingly more tangible ones, that God also gives. And here's what Jesus is going to show us, that God gives by his choosing and his sovereign and good grace, and that he will see to give them or not give them as he sees fit. In other words, what the story shows us is that though God has promised a foundational and permanent set of things to believers who come into his vineyard, there are other blessings of life that he has not promised to give equally to every person in every area of their life. And this story shows us this. So before we drill down on the story, that's why the story I told you earlier today from my life is so important. Because like my sister getting two cars and Peter getting two cars, and me getting one car, and their two cars, arguably much nicer than the car I got, that's life with God. That's what Jesus is going to show us, that there is a discriminate aspect to his grace that some of us fight and whine over like middle children, and, and, and we just never accept that. And God says, part of you and me growing up is to realize this. So let's look at verses 13 through 15 of this story, and you're going to see this very clearly. This is the point in the story where the early workers, remember the early workers? Uh, they're whining that the later workers uh, got the same pay. And look at the interaction Jesus has with them. This is rich. But he, the vineyard owner, answered and said to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? Folks, I believe that this shorter hours worked, same pay aspect of Jesus' story reveals to us what I've already called here the discriminate blessings of God. The fact that God will give some a blessing that he might not choose to give to others. As we have already denoted, the denarius is this general sanctifying salvific blessing of God given fully and freely to all who embrace Jesus. But the fact here that there are some in the story who got it by only working an hour and others who got it by working 12 hours reveals to us this discriminant side of God and his blessings. And right at this point, there are some who are tempted to say, well, this just isn't fair. But when you think about it, here's where I've matured to. It actually is. Because you see, all of us should have come to God on the deal of the denarius, amen? That's why I went through that. You and I should have come to God for eternal life, forgiveness of sin, 
power to overcome sin, presence when we need it the most, and purpose no matter what's going on around us. That's the denarius. And that's why we agreed to come into the kingdom. That's why we were attracted to the Lord in the first place. We didn't do it, at least we shouldn't have, and maybe we're going to have to undo this for your life today. We shouldn't have done it for any of these other blessings that God might or might not give represented by the less hours worked but same pay. And yet what is so sad and even frustrating for some Christians is that there are plenty of people out there just clinging to these discriminate blessings and they organize their lives around them and they even blame God when they don't get them. So what am I talking about here? What are some of the things that God has not promised to give us equally? In our almost 20 minutes left, I want to go through just four of them. I'm sure there's more, but there's four that stand out today. And I'm going to warn you, these are difficult for 21st century American ears to hear. But I'm telling you, this is rock solid truth. You'll see this biblically as we go along. The first thing God said that he has not promised to each and every one of us who come into his kingdom or even come to him is wealth. It's wealth. Let me show you a couple of verses here that make this very clear. Jesus is speaking in this one. He says in Matthew 26, 11, for the poor you always have, you will have with you always, but you will not always have me. Focus on this verse. The poor you have with you always. So Jesus has told us, assumed that there will be poor people, maybe some of us in this world, that this idea of a blessing of wealth is not equitable. Now, I know the pushback to this verse. People have said to me for years, well, he's not saying that it's good that they're poor. He's not saying that God wants them to be poor. Well, actually, he is. Look at James 2, verse 5. James expounds upon what we just learned there. And he says, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? In other words, God chose some people to actually not be blessed monetarily because remember the rich young ruler in which he said, hey, it's harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God than than, than anything else. And so the reality is, is that there are some who God chooses not to bless this way because of his plan for his life. It's a discriminate blessing on its best day. And again, I've had this discussion so much over the years because, you know, there's TV preachers out there that try to convince you otherwise. And they try to say, you know, well, just name it, claim it, that if you just name it and claim your blessing, that God will give it to you. And if you give me money, then God will bless you and all this, this wacky theological stuff. And here's what I'm here to tell you today. Not only is it unbiblical, it's a lie from the pit of you know where on its best day. Because God has not promised us this grace. I mean, again, as a final nail in this coffin, there's some people who still argue, well, yeah, God does want to bless anybody who trusts in him with wealth. Then I guess Paul the apostle and all the other disciples and even Jesus himself were a colossal failure, amen? Because in that very blessed Roman, Greco-Roman society where they had wealth beyond measure, none of them had any of it. as they followed God. So if God's main blessing was to give us wealth, then how in the world do you justify the apostles, the disciples, and even the life of Jesus? No, it's a discriminate blessing on its best day. 
And let me be positive right now. I don't want to be misunderstood. I'm not saying that God might not choose to bless you or some of you with material wealth. And it's great when he does. And it's certainly not even wrong, watch this, to desire it and even to pray for it. Though it is wrong for you to fall in love with it. And therein lies the rub. I think there's a lot of Christians today, tell me if I'm not right, that justify their lives by saying, well, I'm not really in love with it. It doesn't matter if it goes. Well, I remember the last recession and I remember your lives and how depressed you were and miserable you were. Doesn't that maybe teach us that we're clinging just a little bit too much to these tangible blessings? That's a really good spot for an amen, but y'all missed it. It does. <laughs> And again, I, I hinted earlier, this is the town to preach this sin because this is a town where people have made their money and come here to retire, and I think that's wonderful. But the reality is we must admit as mature Christians that God has not promised us this. We thank him for it, but then we move on to the denarius, which is where our real bread is buttered. Now, some of you are going, man, I'm glad you're done with that one. It gets easier, right? No, it actually doesn't. This second one, is actually harder than the first one. And you're going to see why right now. Because you know the second thing that God has not promised you and me as part of the denarius is health. Health. Here's the problem with health right now. Even with our healthcare crisis, we live in one of the most blessed times in the history of the stinking world. Did you know that? I mean, just 60, 70 years ago, before antibiotics were discovered, penicillin. I mean, people would get a cut on their hand and they'd die from it. Not always, but we didn't even know how to treat bacteria. Now we have MRI machines and intricate surgery and most of it's outpatient. We can replace hips and knees and joints and we, we're, we're, we can do a lot with cancer and we've been able to extend life where as heart disease is still the number one killer but it doesn't kill as quickly and all these things. And, and here's the problem. If there's, a, if there's an unintended consequence to all this technology, now don't miss this, is that we tend to drag that into our relationship with God and make that a part of the expectation base of his blessing. And again, I'm gonna say here in a minute, I'm not saying that God does not want you to have health and might not bless some of you with health. But what you need to see today, what you need to detach from him in your theology is that somehow that that's part of the denarius. Because again, health on its best day is a discriminate blessing. It is not a first place thing for God's will for your life. I promise you that. And yet if I have one more person, now none of you are gonna do this, but I have one more person come up to me, you know, who's in their 70s or 80s and say, oh my gosh, I got this bad diagnosis and you act somewhat surprised. I'm not surprised. Bodies start to wear out. I'm not trying to be hard on you, mine's getting there. And guess what? When your body wears out, God might bless you and keep you here a little bit longer. But you know what the worst thing is going to happen for you if you're a believer in Jesus? Your body's going to stop working. You're right, Richard. And you're going to go to heaven. And you're going to get to the other side and go, I can't believe I didn't want to be here. I can't believe that I was making such a big deal of this. Uh, very quickly, well, it might take a second, but this is a great story. Um, let's look at, at how and why we say that health is not part of the denarius. This is a great story that Jesus tells in John 9, or that, I'm sorry, it's a story of what happened with Jesus in John 9, where there was this guy, now, now track with me on this, who was born blind, 
born blind, in, in a terrible culture where they didn't have a society for the blind. They didn't have special canes, you know, with white and, a, and, a, and, and they didn't have any of that stuff. They didn't have braille, things like that. And, and, and he was born blind. And, and then all of his life, he's this way. So he's an adult now. So easily in his 20s, probably in his 30s and 40s. And Jesus, who's walking the earth, heals him of his blindness. And then the disciples, because their theology is totally messed up, they've been watching the TV preachers, they're, 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 these disciples then say, I had to do that, they then say to Jesus, who sinned that this guy was born blind? Was it him or his parents? Like, what a goofy theology. And Jesus is going to say, well, that's, you're asking the wrong question. Let's track what happens here. Look what happens. It says, and the disciples asked Jesus, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he should be born blind. And Jesus says, well, it was neither this man who sinned or his parents. No, it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, again, many, many people do a drive-by of this story, and they miss the point. Jesus is saying, you got to let this settle in here. This, kind of, this is almost scandalous. Jesus is saying that the reason this guy was born blind and was blind for decades on end is so that this one day that the Son of God shows up, that the Son of God might heal him and thus show his glory to all those around. That's the answer Jesus gives. Now put yourself in the shoes of that blind guy. I mean, in one sense, he's so happy that he can see. And then he hears the disciples' question and Jesus gives the answer. And he's going, wait, 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 let me get this right, Jesus. So, so I was blind in this awful culture for three or four decades so that this day your power might be shown? What's the answer to that, yes or no? Yeah, you heard me right. <laughs> what does that tell you about the value that God puts on our health? I can tell you what it means right now. He cares a lot more about the glory of his son than he does our health, amen? He doesn't mind a guy being blind for three or four decades if the son of God can receive glory on that day. What about your health? Have you ever thought about the fact that God cares more about his glory in your life than he does the health of your body? Paul the Apostle grabbed onto that. Paul the Apostle eventually at one point said when he asked God to heal him and God didn't do it, he said, you know what, my, my, my power, God said, is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. And, and, and Paul said, then I'm going to start boasting about that. And later on, Paul would even describe his physical struggles, you ready for this, as light and momentary struggles. Next time you get a cancer diagnosis or you have that heart, you have to have some stents put in or, or your joints are just gone to pot, call them light and momentary struggles because that's what the Bible calls them. And again, I want to be clear here. I, I, I don't want to overstate this. It's not that God doesn't want to answer your prayer for health. He very well might. Our elders gather monthly and Ed's here in the front row. We pray for people all the time. We lay hands on them. We anoint them with oil. We pray for healing and that God would, would come through in their lives. And sometimes he does. And we get, we amaz, we've seen some amazing things. And sometimes he doesn't. Because we have good theology. And we understand that he has not promised that as part of the denarius. And the way that you combat this, and we'll move on here in just a second, but this is really important. The way that you combat this in your life is to fall more in love with the blessings of the denarius than you do of even your own health. There's a saying that you've heard today, and it again, it's a lie from the pit of you know where. And the saying goes like this, well, if you got your health, then you just have everything. 
Man, man, could that be more unbiblical? I mean, if you don't have your health, you know what the Bible says? (laughs) You got eternal life coming your way. You have the forgiveness of all of your sins. You have power coursing in your spirit. You have the presence of God with you in your trials. And you have purpose, the glory of God, even in the midst of your health struggles. Man, I don't know about you, but that sounds worth it to me. The guys that I have seen and gals who have died well, as Geronimo once said, and he wasn't a Christian, but Geronimo said that every, every warrior needs to die like a warrior going home. And the people that I've seen died like a warrior going home. You know how they've done it? They've done it clinging to the denarius. I had a dear friend of mine die of Lou Gehrig's disease a few years back in his 40s. Left a beautiful wife and three kids. He was a godly man. He died clinging to the denarius. Had another one of my best friends die a few years back of brain cancer. He was in his 50s. He died clinging to the denarius. I could tell you story after story like that. And then every one of them encourages me that we don't live for those things. We live for the sanctifying and salvific blessings of God. We live for the denarius that he gives us. Some of you are going, man, that was hard. It must get easier. No, it gets harder. So look at this third one that, that, that we have here. Oh, I'm sorry, there's, no, there's nothing here for the third one. Uh, the third one is, uh, is, is talents and abilities. Talents and abilities. And again, maybe this goes without saying to some of you, but, but the reality is, is that God has blessed some of us with talents and abilities more than others. And again, we tend to bemoan that. We fight that. And, and, and this teaching of Jesus encourages us to stop fighting that. There's a parable Jesus told called the parable of the talents. A talent was also a unit of money back then, but it symbolized the talents and abilities God gave us. And, and do you remember that story? Jesus said there are some people who have been given one talent in life, some who've been given two, some that have been given five. And, and the reality is, is that you can't control what skills or abilities you've been given. You, you, can, you can make better the ones you have, but the reality is, is that that's a blessing from God. And not everyone is blessed equally there. You know, people look at me and they say quite often, you know, well, you're a great leader, you're a great preacher. And, and I said this to a, 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 a message I gave a while back, not here, but somewhere else. I said, you know, I resonate with Paul the Apostle who, who said, you know, if I've gone anywhere in life, it's only because I worked harder than the rest. I can tell you right now, I am not blessed more than many pastors that I know when it comes to smarts, when it comes to other things. I just, I just work really hard. And by the way, that's biblical. I, I settled years ago that I was going to make the most of what God blessed me with, but I'm not Francis Chan. I'm not Rick Warren. I, I am not all these other pastors that you hear about. And, and again, some of you want to protect me in that and say, oh, no, no, you're good. Don't do that. I, I'm settled with who I am. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Amen? That's what the Bible says. And my only job is to take what God has given to me, yield it back to him, and let him empower that. And if you can get to that point, man, you're going to soar in life, no matter how much success you have or don't have. Because talents and abilities are not a part of the denarius. You're not going to believe I did this, and I can't either believe I did it either because I've never been invited back. But a few years back, I was <laughs> invited to speak at a commencement for a, a really good Christian college. And, and I was honored to do it, and I, and I went, and I gave them a message that I, my wife still says, I can't believe you did that. And yet it was so true, but they'll never invite me back because here's what I said to them. I said to these millennials who are graduating, I said, you know, you've been told ever since you were about this high that you can be whatever you want. See where I'm going with this? You can be whatever you want. 
And you've been told that if you try hard, you can do whatever you want. And I looked at them and I said, man, is that ever a lie or what? I said, no, you can't. I said, if you want to be the next Bill Gates, or you want to be the next Tiger Woods, or if you want to be the next president, the chances of that person being in this room is this. I literally said that to them. (laughs) And I said, it might be here, but I said, it's a really low probability. Why? Because most of you don't have the skills to do that. And it's eminently biblical that you don't. Amen? It's true. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book years ago. Some of you read it. It was a New York Times bestseller called Outliers. It wasn't a Christian book. But he makes a really great point. He says that, you know, the skill set in life is like a bell curve. You know, and some of you have been gifted more than others. And we tend to, you know, peak in our giftedness. And then as we get older, it goes down and all this stuff. And he says, when you look at the Bill Gates and the Michael Jordans and the Tiger Woods and the Albert Einsteins, they're what we call outliers. They don't even exist on the bell curve. <laughs> they are so silly bright, so silly gifted, that, that, that they're just out there, and it's no use trying to be like them, because you never will. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt actually said this in his autobiography. I read it a few years back, and I actually quoted it to these college students, but they didn't buy it, but I, I, it was good stuff. Teddy Roosevelt actually said that it, even as he became president, it was not because he was smarter than anybody else. He said, there are people like that. And he quotes from his generation, people like that. He said, I'm not one of them. I just worked really hard is what he said. And the reality is, is that I believe that's more what God has for us. And to try to stop being jealous of all these people that are seemingly more gifted than us, are more gifted than us, that just makes you crazy. You are who you are in your own skin. But here's the good news. God's in your skin with you if you're a believer in Jesus. And, and, and he loves you. Uh, last one, and we won't spend much time on this. Give me the uh, verse here. Yeah, the last one is comfortable circumstances. I'm not going to belabor this, but you got wealth, you got health, you got talents and abilities. You know, another thing that we tend to attach to the denarius that's at best a discriminant blessing of God is our comfort in America. See, here's the problem with our addiction to comfort. Here's the problem with, with, with our attaching comfort to somehow say that God owes us this, is that there are people even right now watching online in places like Mexico, in Africa, over in Asia, that will never have near the comfort you and I have. And are you willing to tell them that they're not as blessed by God as we are? See, the reality is, is that they're probably more blessed in some areas because they're not tempted to be addicted to the comfort and distractions that you and I have. Uh, Paul the Apostle said it this way in 2 Corinthians 1. He says, For we want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we are burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even life. He didn't even want to live anymore. He said, Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. Watch this. In order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And so could it be that sometimes God takes away your comfort that you've become addicted to so that you will stop trusting in America, so that you'll stop trusting in your 401k, so that you'll stop trusting in your nice house and your nice car and trust in him. Would that be beyond God? Not at all. There are times, that's not a punishment. It's a, it's a what we call a severe mercy drawing you to himself. 
because it's not part of the denarius. Now, one last thought, because we're out of time. But why is all of this so incredibly important? Years ago, one of my mentors, Larry Crabb, taught me something that I'll never forget that's so simple, but, but it's important for you and I to visualize this. He said, what most Christians don't understand is that God is calling us all throughout life to detach from certain things that are unhealthy for us and then to attach more fully to the things that he is about. The Bible actually calls this repentance. (laughs) It's where you let go of something that you've been clinging to that's not very healthy for your soul. But if you're gonna let go of something, lest you fall, you wanna grab onto something else, right? So you grab on to something else that God provides for you. It's called detach and attach. And Larry pointed out, this was really revolutionary for me, that you can't grab both bars. God won't let you do that. In other words, in order to attach, you have to first detach. Kind of like those old monkey bars on the, uh, on, on, the, um, on the playground. They're so far apart that you have to swing before you can attach to the other one. That's the way God makes it. And, and gee, some of us are still trying to do this with our lives. But we're trying to say, but Jamie, I want the wealth and the health and, and, and the talents and abilities and, and the comfortable circumstances and, and I want the denarius. No, 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 no. Here's what you don't understand. God's promised you one. He's promised you the denarius. And he wants you to bank on that more than anything else. He wants you to attach to that. But sometimes... Most of the times, we got to detach first. And detach doesn't mean that you give up your wealth or that you pray for ill health <laughs> or that you pray God brings bad things. That's not, that's not the point. No, what it means is, is you stop, cling, stop clinging to them as the denarius. You stop clinging to them as these, as these primary blessings that somehow God owes you. God's going to give you these. You might get these. Let's bank on what he's promised. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for all that you mean to us. Thank you for this amazing story of Jesus's that cuts to the heart of grace and shows us that there is a very fair and equitable aspect, if even possible, to your grace. And that is that if we embrace Jesus, man, we're showered with the blessings that matter most. And Lord, we've also learned that there's a discriminant blessing of your grace. And that is that we might get some of these other things thrown in, the cherry on top of the cake, But the cherry doesn't matter at the end of the day. It's the cake that matters most. So, Father, I pray for each and every one of us here today that you would help us detach from maybe things that we've been clinging to way too much. And may we find our sufficiency in your grace. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.